already seated, I won't ask us to stand. Let us bring out our Bibles while you are seated and just lift it up before the Lord. We'll take our Bible affirmation together. Amen. Say with me, this is my Bible. It is God's inerrant and unchanging word. It is my most valuable earthly possession. A lamb unto my feet and a light unto my path. I hide his words in my heart that I may not sin against God. The Bible is God talking to me personally. And therefore listen to it carefully and do it fully. And I internalize it in my life by doing these four things. Know it in my head by diligent study. Store it in my heart by memorization and meditation. Show it in my life by doing its teachings and sow it in my world by being a witness. Hereafter, I will never be the same. Never, never, never in the name of Jesus for his honor and glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Glory be to God. You're all welcome to service this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'll be glad if you can just help me reach out to the brethren around you. Greet somebody. Welcome the person to church. Tell the person the grace of God is evident on your life. The grace of God is evident on your life. And you get pronounced more and more in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are welcome in Jesus' name. Turn with me your Bible to Acts of Apostles, chapter 11. Acts 11, 22 to 24. Acts of Apostles, chapter 11. Amen. He says, Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, uh, that he should go forth as far as Antioch. He should go forth as far as Antioch. They sent forth Barnabas. Barnabas was not a random choice. He was not random. He wasn't the only available non-apostolic church leader that could have gone on that trip. And usually in the early church, when they send people out, they send them in peers at least. But in this particular case, Barnabas alone was sent out. The reason, one of the reasons that Barnabas was sent out is because of the peculiar grace of discerning that rested upon Barnabas. Barnabas was so gifted in this area that among the records put in place and those that are extra biblical records, his sense of discerning was sharp. Barnabas saw the future in the life of John Mark when Apostle Paul could not tolerate John Mark again in ministry, Barnabas took him to himself seeing beyond what was evident in the lives of in his particular life such that later on 
in the ministry of Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul sent for John Mark, saying that John Mark, that was hitherto unprofitable, is profitable to him for ministry. Even in the life of Apostle Paul himself, when the leaders of the church kept away from him, the entire church in the New Testament kept away from him, the Bible says it was Barnabas that made Paul to be accepted. He took a look at Paul and he knew that what happened in the life of Paul was genuine. And because he had a history of that, the Bible says as a result of the fact that Barnabas opened up and accepted the ministry of Apostle Paul, the entire church opened up and accepted the ministry of Apostle Paul. Such was the grace on Barnabas, such was the influence he commanded in the church. He knew what to do. No wonder the Bible says the early apostles so named him a son of consolation. And so when it was time to check, the Bible says that they sent him that far because they know that whatever report Barnabas gives him, gives them will be correct. And when Barnabas came, we read from verse 23. From 23, we said, who when he came, who when he came, he came into the midst of the brethren. Who were these brethren? Some of them were Jews that were converted to Christianity, but the bulk of them, the Bible says that they were Gentiles that were brought into the faith. And so when he came and observed what was happening, listened to the things that were being communicated among them and the way they live, the Bible says he saw clearly, according to scripture, the grace of God that was upon that assembly. And he was glad and then charged them, exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, singleness of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Because the Gentiles were known to be involved in mixture of idolatry and so on. Verse 24. The devil took some time to describe this man, Barnabas. He said, for he was a good man. Very few people are described like this in scripture. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Even if the Bible has said he was a good man, it was enough. He was full of the Holy Ghost. And of faith. And much people as a result of his ministry among them, were added unto the Lord in that church. Praise the Lord. Such was the testimony of Barnabas. Our focus today is not on Barnabas. Our focus is on what he saw. The Bible said he saw grace. Meaning that grace can be palpable. Grace can be seen. Grace can be evident. Grace can be obvious. It also means that there is something about words and grace. There is something about communication that exposes grace. And there is something about the teaching of the word of God that makes it evident that grace is on a person. Beyond the teaching of the word of God, beyond the communication of the word of God, the life and the living 
of the entity that is exposed to that grace will also show that this person carries grace. It becomes evident. In this case, grace can be likened to an expensive cologne that a man or a woman is wearing. You know, when you enter into a room, for example, the entire atmosphere, the air around there, the smell changes. How many of us have passed in front of Cadbury before? Cadbury, what do you smell? What do you smell? Is that the only thing they do there? Whatever is in season at that time, it is manifested in the air. Even the air around them know that this is what is raining at this time. God describes himself as the Lord of all grace. Grace for finance. Grace to connect. Grace to build relationship. Grace for startup. Grace for sustenance. Grace for different levels. They are all resident in God. And all these can be made evident. But there is no of this aspect of grace that can be made evident in the life of a person that will not come by the person first understanding what grace is all about. And that's why I'm taking time to say the same thing over and over again, particularly in the services today, so that when we begin to run, we'll have a common understanding of what we're talking about. The grace of the Lord. The grace of the Lord. Do you know that grace can be on somebody and the carrier of that grace may not even know it? Moses' face was shining. It took others to tell him that, look, there's something about you. Such that at a point he had to close or use something to veil himself so that he would be able to communicate with the people. He didn't know. But the moment he came into the knowledge of it, he adjusted appropriately to take advantage of what God had done in his life. The same thing with grace. We are told that grace and peace multiplies through what? Through what? Knowledge. It becomes important that those of us as God's children, for us to be exposed to the grace of God upon our lives, we must subject ourselves to the knowledge of the word of God. And there's no way you can know the word of God unless it is communicated. It can be communicated by the teaching of the word of God. Grace can be communicated in the place of fellowship. Grace can be communicated in our ways, the words, our communication, our words, the way we say it, the way we do it, the way things happen around us. Grace is expressed in our culture. And so, if knowledge is so important for us to be able to manifest grace, knowledge of what? Knowledge of the word of God. The Bible calls it the word of his grace. The word of his grace. Meaning that when that word comes into you, amongst other things it produces is the grace of God in and on your life. As so you say, I commend, I commit you 
unto God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order for you and I to have a good grasp, a balanced grasp of it, which is extremely important, because grace is such a delicate subject that some people, they have stretched it so thin that they think grace is a license for evil or for sin. While others, because they don't want to stretch it so thin, so thin, they have run away from the subject of grace at all. But beloved of God, Jesus is the author of grace. Grace and truth came from him. The Bible describes grace in the New Testament church as the grace of our Lord Jesus. There is no grace without the office of the Christ. And so, if you are going to talk about grace, you must recognize him and recognize his place in your life. In order for that recognition to be, God says, can we have Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15 on screen? Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. He said this. Everybody, let's read it together. Let's read it together, everybody. He said, I will what? Give you what? Pastors. Stop there. You need to tell your neighbor, you need a pastor. Stop being a floater. Look into his face. Look in. Look into his face. Well, look, look, look. Yes, we need a pastor. Since I like the way you said it, Joe. Uh -huh. Madam Grace, talk now. You need a pastor. Tell him. Stop being a floater. How many floaters do we have here? Amen. They didn't come today. Praise God. A floater is anybody that worships anywhere. No. Every Jew belongs to a tribe. Are you with me? In tribes, there are clans. In clans, there are families. If your name is not found in any of them, they will disqualify you. It doesn't matter if your name is going. Even up to today, they are still fighting it. It's becoming a law right now in the Knesset. Praise God. Amen. Glory be to God. Let's read it again, please. Put it back, put it back, put it back. Go on, everybody. Stop there. Ask your neighbor, do you have a pastor? Ask him, ask him, ask him. Do you have a pastor? What's the name of a pastor? Tell the person, don't tell me. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. I will give you pastors according to what? My heart. How do you know your pastor is according to his heart? He's not preaching his own. He's not preaching what he thinks. He's preaching what the word of God says. Allowing scripture to interpret scripture. Praise God. What is the responsibility of that pastor? He will what? Feed you. With what? Knowledge and understanding. Everybody look up. The only means given in the word of God for the transformation of a Christian is the teaching of the word of God. When he's taught the word and he becomes a doer of the word, then he will see the change that the word produces from inside out in his life. For, that, for us to know that he has been taught and he has taken a hold of that word, Knowledge must be combined with understanding such that even if he enters a situation that is different from the circumstance in which he was taught the word, he knows the right way 
to rightly apply or divide the word. It is understanding that makes it possible. And the Bible says it is the responsibility of the pastors. That is why you need a pastor. Or one of the reasons you need a pastor. And you must know your pastor by name. One of some of us that maybe ladies or some young men that have okay, some young men that have come into this church to marry some of our ladies and take them to their churches. A very common question I ask is which church do you worship? Tell me when you got born again. What has been your Christian work like? Just tell me. Are you a worker in church? Or you are just Shadran Shami? You know a Shadran Shami? Amen. Let me know. And when I've asked those three or four questions, the next question is, who is your pastor? What is the name of your pastor? Why? It is dangerous for you, a young lady or a young man, to marry somebody that has nobody to tell him, sit down, keep quiet, and he will sit down and keep quiet. Without asking, why should I sit down? It is the place and honor of a pastor. Because he's going to teach you how to honor. Praise the Lord. And when it comes to honor, it's interesting. God did not say, honor your good father or your good mother. Abby, how did he say it? And your mother knew, so that it may be well with you. And that you will live long in the land that he has called you to be. That is one or another reason you need a pastor. Don't worry, I've not lost touch of my subject. I'm clear-minded. Amen. Praise God. Now, one of the things the pastor will do, for example, when Jesus was pastoring his church of 12, he got to a point that he was going to feed 5,000. The Bible says, he asked Philip. Why did he ask Philip? Because the master recognized the grace that was on Philip. Philip and Andrew, they had something that was working in them. They were connectors. No matter how difficult it is, Jesus will not enter a town with Philip and Andrew and they will not know somebody in that town. It's not possible. Go and read your Gospels. They will always know somebody there. And so there was a situation that arose. Jesus turned to Philip. Why didn't he turn to Peter? He turned Philip, come, what are we going to do? Give, let's give them food, though. And Peter said, Abba, Oga. A whole year's wages will not feed these people. The Bible says he was just testing it. He himself knew what he was what going to do. And the teacher, the pastor, the teaching priest that he has placed among you. You see, Morisarolo used to say, as it is in the physical, so also it is in the spiritual. In teaching, we move from the known to the unknown. The Bible says precept must be what? Upon precept, line upon line. A little here, a little there. And so the pastor in communicating knowledge and understanding begins with what we can relate with. No wonder when Jesus was teaching the priest and so on, he used examples that had to do with priestly function. Who is my neighbor? When he was teaching the agri agronomy, agri people, he used examples or illustrations that had to do with salt and pepper. Do you understand? He was relating with every level of his audience at their level, moving from what they understand 
to the higher truths he's going to present to them. When he started to teach his 12, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he started by pointing to himself and then gradually taking them to come in to recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when he was living, he re-emphasized it to them. The role of the teacher is never to be in a hurry, but to break the truth down gently. The most important thing for a teacher is that knowledge must be combined with understanding to allow for application and transformation. No wonder. Another master communicator by the Holy Spirit was communicating to a young disciple of his. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Please, can you have verse 1 on screen? This was Dr. Luke writing. He says something. For as much as many have taken it in hand to set forth how? In what? In order for truth to be grabs, for truth to be adequately applied, it must be an orderly set of truth or an orderly set of truth. Truth must come in order, one after the other, precept upon precept. He said, as much as for as many as have taken it in hand to set forth in order a declaration, a teaching of those things which are most surely believed among us. What are the things that are most surely believed among us? In one word today, it is called doctrine. What are the things that must be for a doctrine to be established? One. You must see such a thing that it has been foreshadowed or adumbrated in the Old Testament while the young church was around. Secondly, you must see it in the life of Jesus. He must have taught it. He must have practiced it. He would tell you the scriptures pointed to this. That is why we can say Jesus is the Savior. We saw in a shadow of it in the Old Testament. We saw him in the New Testament. Then we saw the church of the New Testament, the early church, practicing those things. There is nothing like new truth. The doctrines of God, as far as the New Testament church, he set and settled. I've been hearing concepts of new truth and so on. They say the Bible is old, it's a cake. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Are you listening to me? Beloved of God, and so, uh, Dr. Luke said, listen, for as much as we have come to set this truth in order, so that, let's go to verse 2 of that scripture, quickly, Luke 1, 2. Even as they delivered them unto us, we from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Go to the next one. I, it seemed good to me also, having had what? A perfect understanding of all things from the very first. To write unto thee in order most excellent Theophilus. Praise the Lord. Grace. This grace we are talking about has taken some people to hell. They have missed the road. So we need to have an orderly, proper, scripture-based understanding of it. You don't want to talk about grace. You are robbing yourself of a fundamental truth in scripture. What is grace? I consulted 
some renowned authors on this subject, authors with testimony, authors that have seen the result in their lives or that have read or heard of the results in their lives. There are a lot of very good Bible dictionaries, a lot of very good ones. And they are available, you can download them. Some are free, some you pay. This one I'm using is not free. You pay because the value is there. Now, uh, they abbreviated the name of the author because the name of the book is very long. The name of the book is a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, the third edition. They analyze a lot of truths there, the writings of the early church fathers and so on. Now, for short, you can Google it. They call it the B-D-A-G lexicon. B-D-A-G. There were four gentlemen that came together to do the work, and so they named the, the letters are a short form of their names, B-D-A-G. Praise the Lord. Now, is it important? Maybe. Because Paul teaching Timothy said, be careful of the things you know. No, or, 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 or put into practice the things I have taught you, knowing who taught you. So it's important that you understand. I use the third edition. And I read and read and read and I was enthused by the things I saw there. Then there were some words they used. I had to get another English dictionary that of, is of repute. And for me, the American Advanced, sorry, the American Heritage Dictionary, the fifth edition, very good dictionary. I recommend it. It will always break the words. Give you, you, it will break your head and you will understand it. Praise the Lord. Now, that dictionary says some things about grace. The first thing it said is that grace is the benevolent disposition towards somebody. Benevolent disposition. Benevolent disposition. Benevolent disposition. What is benevolence? I checked the English dictionary. The benevolence is your tendency to do good. Being kind. Being favorable. No matter the circumstance, whether the person deserves it or not, you choose to do him good. You don't need his permission to do him good. By default, you are a good doer. Disposition, again, is a character of doing a particular thing. Some people, by disposition, they are liars. Some people, by disposition, they are thieves. Have you seen somebody going to the market or supermarket and steal tom-tom? Have you heard of it? Does he need the tom-tom? No, it's a disposition to steal free. They call it klepto. Are you following me? He doesn't need it, but he steals it. It's a disposition. God's disposition to us, man, is a disposition to do us good anytime. To be kind to us. To show us his goodness. To show us his favor. He doesn't wait for you to be qualified for grace. Grace has been poured forth immeasurably unto us. But you must come to the level to understand that the grace of God is upon your life and understand how to walk the grace for you to be able to benefit from the, all the good things that grace has to offer. And for you to be able to stand and use grace. Paul said, I labored under grace. We'll get there. There is saving grace and there is enabling grace. Where you achieve something, after a lot of work, and somebody asks you, how did you get it? You say, it's not me. It's the grace of God. Truly, it's the grace of God. But that grace was not in vain in your life. You began to walk that grace and it produced the results. Step by step, we'll get into all those. Benevolence, benevolence. And a common, uh, uh, a quick one that will come to me is the same illustration I've been using. When God 
in Genesis chapter 1. Saw the way the earth was upside down. Everything was bad in the earth. God was not obligated to do anything. Because benevolence, grace, the definition of grace by those gentlemen is that it is something you do not out of responsibility, not out of duty, not out of uh, that I must do it, but you just look at the person. He says, like Joe, uh, David said, the psalmist said, he said, like a father pitied his children, so the Lord God pitied them that do what? That fear him. He says, he will not always chide, neither will his anger endure forever. Meaning that before you even commit the offense, he had forgiven you. But when you know such a thing, it becomes higher responsibility for you not to even go near that offense so that you don't take the grace of God for license, for liberty. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Now, but because of the picture that God had, man was to come into the scene. The Bible says God walked on the earth. After six days or five days of hard work, it was ready. Then on the sixth day, he brought his man, he created his man. When he created the man, he rested on the seventh day. Presumably, I think, maybe on the eighth day, he took the man to the garden he has garnished, the garden he has prepared. The Bible says when man got there, the garden was ready. And God gave man a charge. He says, keep this garden. Tend this garden. Make sure this garden is fruitful. That was all that God told him to do. Meaning, as a man, manage this garden for me. One of the days he came, to visit his man. And I want you to note this. And I want to stress this. Because to let you know God values hard work. Walk. When God came, he stood at a point and watched his man walking. Maybe they were even conversing. But do you know that when God came, at that first time, man was not aware that God was there. And God waited and saw him tirelessly walking. The first man that God created, God fused the woman into the man. It was a man-woman there. God looked at the man. God saw every other thing he created, they were in pairs. And God said, no, 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 no. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help that is suiting for him. Did man know that he needed help? Answer me, did, God, did man know he needed help? That is grace. The just for the unjust. But God commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. God will not wait for you to merit it before he gives it. Before he makes allowance. Before he makes provision for it. Do you understand me? That is grace. And so, the Bible says he put the man to sleep. And when the man woke up, he became a poet. This is the bone of my bone and so on. And they continued their life. Then a time came in chapter 3. The Bible says that the devil came and harassed man. When he harassed man through the woman, something happened. And that is one of the characteristics of the devil. The devil will come to spoil what is good. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible says when he came and he saw what was happening, he made up his mind that he was going to thwart the purposes of God. In thwarting the purposes of God, he had to make sure that he turns man against God. The Bible says he got the woman to eat what was not supposed to be eaten. And when that happened, the man sided with his wife against God, so to say. He ate the fruit. He was not deceived. He ate it willingly. Because if not die, make we die together. No wonder. When God instituted marriage, he said, for better, for worse. <laughs> you die together. Amen. 
Anyway, that's by the way. When God came on the scene, like the devil expected, like I probably would have expected, because when man had the voice of God, now, for a moment, God came to keep his visitation appointments. If you are the one, would you have gone? Knowing what you know. Are you saying God didn't know when they ate it? God didn't know that they had fallen? Are you saying that God did not know that it was over with man? The devil knew it was over. God knew. But God came on the scene as usual. Without malice, without remorse, without any feeling of disappointment. Because of his great love for man. The Bible says, Adam, 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 Adam. And the voice of God became something for Adam. Adam went to hide and to cover himself. And then God came and asked him, Adam, what is happening to you? Why are you hiding from me? He said, I was ashamed because I was naked. Who would have thought that would be the end of it? It was not the end of it. Let me tell you something about the devil. Adam in that state was already in self-condemnation. Why? Because of the accuser of the brethren. The devil will accuse God to you. You have been praying, you have been fasting. Why has he not done it? Cause God and die. Remember this story. Are you with me? He will come and go to God. In the same instance, though, he will come and accuse man to God. He's an accuser of the brethren. If that is not enough, he will cause me to accuse Baba here. And Baba in turn will respond by what? Accusation to defend himself. Do you see how the accusation is linking? You see all these levels of accusation in Genesis chapter 3. Then the third one is that when everything is done and done, God, man will say, man, it is over. That is the that is the secret for suicide. It makes you feel that that is the end of the book because you have gotten to the end of that book. But it did not allow you to see that it is volume one of the book. That there are yet possible other volumes. Your life is not ended there. No wonder that man said, Rejoice not over me, my enemy. For when I sit in darkness, I shall what? I shall what? I shall rise. He said, Look. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be my light. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Even if he falls, even when, if you know the grace of God, even in your falling state, you will know that God is not leaving you alone in where you are. And so grace puts spring on you. Grace gives you the hope you need. He gives you the strength to get up, clean yourself, and keep moving. Job said, when men are cast down, what do you say? There is what? A lifting up. Why? Because of that factor of grace. We jump to chapter 4 of Genesis. You know, in chapter 3, God said something that shocked the world at that time. When I say the world, the people that were listening to him, the creation around, and the devil. Thinking that that would be the judgment time for man. It's over. I've won this one. Then out of his wisdom, God brought out something. Because the devil did not know that even before man came in the scene, the lamb has been slain before the foundations of the world. Do you understand me? Grace is God's wisdom. Grace is God's defense for us. Grace is God's wisdom for our victory at any time. That is why we must understand it. And so, he said to the man, or he said to the devil, Genesis 3.15, he says, for what you have done, I will put enmity between your seed, between the woman's seed and your seed. He said, look, the woman's seed will do what? Will bruise your head. And you will bruise his heel. 
Suddenly, when the devil by that statement knew that God has not closed the chapter of man, it was just volume one that ended. The same thing in your life. Men could have sentenced you. You could have sentenced yourself. But beloved of God, it was just the last page in volume one you read. There are still 65 more volumes. Is somebody listening to me? There are still what? 65 more volumes. Volume one that you failed is not over. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. He said, even though the victory will not blossom, yet will I joy and rejoice in the Lord my God. And so, beloved of God, go to chapter 4. He came up again. I want you to know that grace runs through. I can pick any scripture, any chapter, or any book in the Old Testament, and you will see the red line of grace running through. Are you listening to me? Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace in the first place. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament is Jesus being revealed. Praise the Lord. Go to chapter 4. He remembered Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he came up with the same old tricks of deception. He looked at Cain. And he saw that Cain was a wayward person. Cain was a carnal person. Cain did not really have the love of God. That was the weakness of Cain. But Cain was a very hardworking man. And he was a fearless man. He looked at Abel. Abel, on the other hand, was a soft, godly man. Abel loved the God of his parents. And usually, from their actions, he could see. So, the love of God was the strength of Abel. As far as Abel was concerned, God was number one. As far as Cain was concerned, God was number nothing. So, for one, one was weak with respect to the love of God. The other one was strong with the love of God. Beloved, do you see what is happening? The devil took the strength of one and used the weakness of the other to frustrate it. Are you following me? He used the weakness. So, whether it is your strength or whether it is your weakness, the devil can use anything to advantage. That is why the Bible says, let him that standeth take heed, lest he what? He falls. Let him that thinks he knows boast in one thing. And what should he boast on? In the fact that he knoweth the Lord. No wonder Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he said, what was to me gain? I count them but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he kept him on his toes. Grace. Grace. Grace is a keeper. And so when they misbehave like that, the devil thought, now, the rules were clear. The soul that sinned, it shall die. If you kill a man, you will pay with your blood. And so the blood of Abel began to ask for revenge. And God had warned Abel, I mean warned uh, Cain. But Cain did not eat the warning of God. What was God coming to do? And God came and executed judgment. But you see, in that judgment, still, the grace of God was there. Because Cain had been taught properly by the Father. Are you following me? It's a product of teaching. As God was speaking, he patiently waited. He got all the judgment of God. You'll be a wanderer. You'll be a vagabond. You'll be this. You'll be that. You will not amount to anything. Ah! When God finished speaking, Cain, Lord, excuse me. What you are saying now, are you saying that anybody can see me and kill me? Is that what you are telling me now? And God said, no, that's not what I said, though. In fact, I'm going to put a sign on you. 
It's not a stigma that nobody will kill you. You will live the length of your days. What has he done? The judgment of sudden death is taken away. Then he went on and spoke to God. Even in his low sinful state, grace still made room for him. It, you, it can't be that bad. I want you to know that the grace of God reaches further than you can ever think of. Grace is available. Grace is available. It is because of grace that you have other volumes in the book. So, don't think where you are is the last card. Don't think you can never amount to anything. Don't think you can never raise your head again. No, 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 no. As long as you can access grace, beloved of God, you can rise again. Are you listening to me? That is why some people think that I can do anything and get away with it. No! But you must know these things for you to be able to effectively utilize the grace of God in your life. And so, when that happened, the devil thought it was over. God showed him again it's not over. Go and read Genesis chapter 4. Cain built a city. Is that what a wanderer and a vagabond would do? The children of Cain became professors in mythology, in hospitality industry, in entertainment industry. They became mighty in the land, the Bible described. Why? Because at the point, Cain, in his weak, sinful state, understood the place of grace and reached out to grace. It's not over unless you say so. Are you listening to me today? The grace of God is powerful. The grace of God is all-surpassing. The grace of God is God's wisdom to always make man win. But if you are going to walk grace, you must understand grace. Somebody say, why must I walk grace? After all, it's grace. No, 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 no. <laughs> there is a place you labor in grace. Part of the labor is for you when everything is against you. They have declared you guilty. And you too, you know that you are guilty. You'll be able to stand and say, God, you are my father. I love you. Yes, I did it, but I'm sorry. And you reach out your hands to him. As you begin to thank him, in, the, in that sorry state you are in, it is not that he will have pity. It's his grace that takes over. He's overwhelmed by his grace. Grace is nature of God. His disposition is to do you right. And so if you understand grace, and you position yourself rightly in grace, you will fly in grace. If you say, I will use grace for a license for sin. Sin there. Why you are sinning? Somebody else is ordering his life by grace. Even though you were born again the same day. In two years, in three years, we'll see the difference. Because your lives can never be the same. Do you understand what I'm talking about? After all, the same grace that Peter was exposed to. Judas was also exposed to it. What happened at their end? They state the question is a question of the heart. Dearly beloved of God, I want you to come with me on this journey of grace. And you will see that your life has color. Your life has beauty. Your life has glory. And it is from one glory to the other. You may not see it now. You may not look like it now. But what will make you to become is the knowledge of it that you acquire. And how do I position and take advantage of the grace of God in my life? Those are the things we are going to be looking about, looking at. I'm not in a hurry about this. Because it took me some time to get to this point. And I thank God for the grace to communicate it. But I want you to know, listen and go out there and leave it.
Bow your heads, let's pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want somebody to reach out to grace today. Reach out to grace. The beginning point of activating grace is to acknowledge and thank God for grace. That's the beginning point. Acknowledge and thank God for grace. I don't know what your condition is or the state that you are in right now. But acknowledge and thank God for grace. Acknowledge and thank God for grace. Acknowledge and thank God for grace. Acknowledge and thank God. Gratitude with, when it comes to grace makes all the difference. In your weak state, it strengthens you. In your state of loneliness, it stands ahead of you. Thank God for the grace of God. It is so deep that it cannot be phantomed. It's so wide that nobody can cover it. It's so far reaching that it will always get to you wherever you are. The devil cannot undo the grace of God. Because the grace of God pre-existed the devil. Talk to God. Talk to God where you are. I don't know if you are here, you are not born again. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. And you say, uh, Pastor, please pray with me. I, 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 I want, maybe once you had encountered the Lord and you decided to go on your own way, grace is still available for a restoration today. If you are in such a situation, I want you to just stand where you are. Stand where you are and lift up one hand. Let me quickly pray with you right now. It will, it's a short, simple prayer that will work restoration in you. It will release the grace of God for you to come back and be a walk with him today as his child. Wherever you are, can I see your hands up? Those of us watching at home, watching at home, or wherever you are, you want to pray this prayer, pray with me right now. Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I believe in my heart that he died for my sins. He paid the price for my sins. I believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead for my justification. As a result of that, salvation is mine in Jesus. I claim that salvation today and I receive you into my life. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Please, if you pray that prayer here, immediately after service, just open your eyes to the pastor's corner. You see Pastor Fidelis, Pastor, can you, uh -huh, his hand is up. I want you to see him. He will tell you more. If you are at home, call any of the numbers there and somebody will be there to speak with you. I pray for you today that in the name of the Lord Jesus, the reality of what we are talking about, you will get engrossed in it and you will walk in it. You will understand it and it will be profitable to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.